Hey everybody, Matt here, and I wanted to tell you about something cool my publisher is offering if you pre-order my forthcoming book, Filthy Rich Politicians. After you do that, go to filthyrichbook.com and sign up, enter your receipt number, and I will send you an autographed book plate. You also have access to chapter one and the intro. You can download that immediately today, as well as access to a podcast where I talk about the book. So pre-order Filthy Rich Politicians and go to filthyrichbook.com today to get these bonuses. Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. <laughs> Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, we're th June uh, 29th, officially summer. Um, your kids have already been at camp, right? My kids have been away to sleepaway camp. They are back. And back. Uh, Bill, by the way, uh, we are inundated again with Canadian uh, smoke today. I don't know oh, if really? you were having that. I yeah. didn't know that. Um, yes. We're, we're, oh, yeah. Incredibly bad air quality in the entire Washington, D.C. area. I'm talking about for hundreds of miles. Um, and, you know, they're saying, like, don't go outside, especially if you are a kid or elderly or have asthma. This is, you know, the second time we've had this. Wow. Uh, I know yeah. when you, the plume, I guess, has missed us. So I, was, I wasn't on top of it. Um, it's crazy, man. And uh, again, this isn't just one a one-time anomaly. This is now, like, I'm having to check the, you know, check my weather app. It's like, am I going to work out today? I'm going to go for a jog. Is it raining? What's the temperature? Oh, are there wildfires causing, you know, smoke that I cannot ingest? So, um, but but to answer your question, the kids are, are back. Uh, I guess we'll keep them locked in the house today. Um, but th they went away to sleep away camp. It was, um, it was a little bit uh, emotionally fraught for me the first day or so, but they had a blast. And in fact, I'm wearing uh, the hat of the camp uh, where they went, which was on the eastern shore of Maryland. I'm just saying now. I actually, actually do have an air quality alert here, but it's not. We're not nearly as severe as where where you are, but we're on kind of the edge. Far yeah, edge man, it, it's crazy. And I, I I read today that there's like five, almost 500 different wildfires in Canada, and I'm like, why can't we send in the Navy SEALs at this point? Mm -hmm. Like, are, are, is do you know? Are we in? Is America involved in putting this the, these fires out? I don't know if we've sent. People there or not? Um, I, can, I can't speak knowledgeably about it. California's got its own problems. All right, when I'm elected president, I'll do what Joe Biden has not had the guts to do. I'll put <laughs> these fires out in 24 hours, Bill. They'll last 24 hours, and they will back down. That's oh, my pledge like, to like you. The Simpsons were like, "How dare you end the tire fire? <laughs> Our greatest tourist." <laughs> Oh, a quick announcement before I forget, Bill, we should probably uh, tell the DMZ Army um, that you and I are taking a little hiatus uh, for the summer. At least the next two weeks, we're going to take off. And then my book comes out on July 18th. That'll be, I guess, three weeks from now. And we obviously, I'm going to be busy that week, but um, hopefully we can reconvene. And if nothing else, I'll tell you how the, how the book is going. Um, but, uh, for those, you know, for those who are our regular listeners who are, let's, let's be honest, addicted mm -hmm. to what we do, um, you know, some classic episodes, maybe we'll keep you, you know, keep you from jonesing too bad for Bill and Matt. Yeah. I, I normally we've been doing like one family vacation in the summer, but 
this year for the first time, both my children will be at sleepaway camp in the same week. So I had to tack on an extra getaway that's kid free. So I hope everybody understands that, yes. you know, uh, duty calls. I think Dick, was it Dick Army who said the American dream is not owning your own home. It's having your children move out of your home or something <laughs> like that. Going away to camp is, is as close as it gets uh, for the next eight or 10 years, I'm guessing, but enjoy. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm sure you'll, my, my picture of Bill share on vacation involves a lot of reading history books. Uh, you know, well, we're going to go to, I'm we're sure going to go to, my wife are going to go to, to Portland, Maine, and they do have a lot of bookstores there, a lot of used bookstores. So I actually, where we're, where we're staying in the downtown is near like a really huge used bookstore that apparently is very disorganized, which is the way a used bookstore should be. I so love that. I, I got to see if she'll let me like spend three hours in there or not. Maybe swing by uh, a non-used bookstore and just pick up a copy of Filthy Rich Politicians. We don't know how the New York Times algorithm works. It, 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 allegedly, it has something to do with local bookstores. So if you were to swing by, you know, you could return them a week later. Just <laughs> buy some copies as you go, wait a week or two, and then, well, I guess it might be hard to return them when you don't live in Maine. But whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll work that out. We'll, we'll give You know what? You and I both sign one. And we raffle it off to the DMZ army. <laughs> uh, problem solved. All right. We should get down to business, Matt. I guess we should. And I would love to start, Bill, with uh, your, as a Gen Xer myself, I would love to start with your latest for the Washington Monthly. Did, did, I, did I do our generation justice, Matt? I think so. I mean, first of all, just by virtue of mentioning us, I think it's important because we are the smallest and least important uh, generation in history, or at least in modern history. Um, and I am you know, keenly interested in this. Last summer, I read Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s. Um, and I have thoughts. And it is interesting. There's never been a Gen X president, you know, Wrong. with the caveat no. that Barack I'm Obama. Right now. How you right now, Matt. Barack Obama is Gen X. I will die on this hill. I don't care. Technically speaking, he is not. I don't care that people are drawing this arbitrary line that Gen X starts being born at <laughs> 65 and he's 61. is ridiculous. Look, Barack Obama did not come of age during the Vietnam War, whereas the Clintons did. You know, he, he, the Clintons are in college during Vietnam. Uh, and that, you know, generations are not defined by arbitrary years being demarcated. It's shared experiences. There's a baby boom experience of the Vietnam war that, that colors all of these, you know, personal and political choices. When Barack Obama ran against Hillary Clinton in 2008, it was a generational contest. They didn't say two boomers running against each other. Obama was running to turn the page from the politics but of the past. I didn't, I didn't write these rules. I just abide by them. But there, these are somebody these are wrong rules that should be thrown. Everything's out. arbitrary. I mean, at some point, I think I think there's a spectrum, Bill, and I think that Obama exists on that spectrum of baby boomers. But whatever the case may be. He is he is post Whatever the case may he be. post Vietnam. Uh, he <laughs> is in the he is post Vietnam yet within the Cold War. So you you have a generational experience of Gen Xers who don't come of age with Vietnam in the background, but are still uh, colored by 
both uh, Cold War tensions and the rise of early computing, but pre-internet. Okay. And, but Bill, I've got two ends, kids. I've, I've, not looked, I've not looked into this. <laughs> I've not looked into this. I've not independently verified this. But according to my son, my kids who are two years apart are in different generations. Like I'm sure like someone's like made an arbitrary line to say millennial yes. Gen Y stops here and Gen Z starts here. But like we live we live in a society of rules, Bill. <laughs> and these rules have walls. Who's going to protect us be from the, the barbarians? If you start tearing down. What typifies a shared generational experience should be the rule. Once the Cold War ends with the Berlin Wall coming down and Gorbachev and the Soviet Union dissolving, you know, 89, 91, you know, then you have a new generational backdrop. And that also parallels with the rise of the Internet. Like that's a generational shared experience. That's what the, that yeah. defines the millennial. Some, some people look at the generational lines and ask why. <laughs> Bill looks at them and asks, "Why the f?" Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're questioning, you're questioning authority, Bill. Where does this end, man? I'm willing to go along with what has been decided by my, by the experts. <laughs> the so you know, you want to topple all this <laughs> and just rewrite the rules, but whatever the case may be. Let's talk some, about some, some people will say Barack Obama is the so-called Jones generation, this kind of like bubble between uh, Boomer and Gen X, which I, I I still don't accept. But at least it indicates that he's not Boomer. He's he, he's not in the Does same. That mean he's like a big George Jones. Is this I don't know. What, do I don't know. I don't know Jones Jones from, I'm like not that. sure what that what that what that name comes from. But you know, Clinton and George W. Bush are boomers okay uh and we can agree on that right um and uh biden trump and biden are silent generation if i, if I remember correctly is no there, is it was, was trump i think trump is a boomer which so trump trump's a boomer Trump was born. I'm sorry. This is you know high quality content on the DMZ. I take it. I, one well, thing I can pick up. So he's, just, he's just technically a boomer right after the end of World War II. Okay. Unless so. we decide not to go with any rules, but I feel like you have strong. You you no, have no. a strong so Trump, Trump, take. Trump on is that. squarely this boomer. Is... I, I apologize. Um, so Trump, Clinton, Bush Jr., boomer, uh, and Biden is silent. Yeah, we thought we we're going to, the silence almost were going to get overlooked, um, but Biden snuck in there. And uh, are we going to have a second generation next president or not? Is, is the question. Uh, and, and, I'm going to say not. I, I think, uh, wouldn't you say, like, okay, let me, let me put it to you in the form of a question. Yeah. What do you think the odds are that the next president, Will either be Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Oh, I think that's strong case uh, for for one of the other. Eighty percent, ninety percent. Something's got to change in the Republican primary. For I mean, Trump is on a in a very strong position right now. I mean, I just I did I did a Twitter thread about this the other day, and I think I mentioned it on the, on the show. I mean, you there had as much as people like to discount early polling. No one with Trump's lead has lost 
a primary in the modern primary area uh, era. The closest would be Hillary, who's who topped out at a 28 point lead in national polling, and, and Trump is now in the low 30s. So you could call them similar, um, but but there's uh, no Barack Obama. Barack Obama was. Mm-hmm. I mean, Barack Obama was an amazing once in a generation political. Mm-hmm whatever generation that may be, Bill. Once in a generation, political talent and a- political athlete, as, as Pat Buchanan might say. There's what nobody they, in the Republican Party right now that has that. Just that him as like a, as a, as a, it's not just his personal skills. I'm, I'm actually reading Obama's memoir right now in my book club. So I've, we just covered the pre-presidential phase of Obama in that. And it really just brings back to life like what a historical the anticipation of the historical moment was how it was building since the keynote of 2004, that something was already stirring in 04, 05, 06, 07. Um, uh, and so when Obama, it gets in in 2007 and he's in like the twenties and, and Hillary's like in the forties nationally uh, on one hand, it's a big lead, but it's it's obscuring that there's this huge pool of African-American voters who still had some Clinton uh, appreciation and, did, and weren't quite ready to believe that Obama was for real. Uh, and it's not until he wins Iowa. Maybe they also didn't want to have their sort of their hopes dashed. Like if they yeah. psychologically, if they if they chose to believe in Obama and then he lost that that could be traumatizing right i mean i think there might be some might have been some of that i mean you know jesse jackson got a lot of african-american support the first time around and then al sharpton didn't as much they're kind of like okay we're not going to do this just for the heck of it we do want someone's actually going to win these things uh and once obama wins iowa i was like oh he could actually win this thing and then there's this huge shift nationally after that there's so you this very large block of voters that that's shifted very quickly. There's no evidence that something similar is going to happen on the Republican side. Not, again, I'm not saying Trump is unbeatable. I'm although, saying. Although I have heard that Mike Pence is surging in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, your dog hates Mike Pence. No, um, You've trained him. <laughs> the dog right. is bothering the cat. Um, sorry to be distracted. So anyway, um, it's at minimum highly unusual for someone with the lead of this size to collapse. Like there was a Rudy Giuliani collapse in 2008, but he was he topped out like 17 points, not not 30 points. And Giuliani was sort of a weird front runner. He had these moderate social positions, um, and then got hit with a scandal in late 2007, using government money to pay for his extramarital trips. Uh, so Trump is much more known commodity, clearly squarely in the mainstream of the party politically as it currently is constructed, has been hit with scandal after scandal after scandal and only gets stronger in the process. So the things that took Hillary and Giuliani down are, don't seem to be present at the, at the current time. So anyway, so you're saying you're, 80%, 80%. <laughs> Neutral question, you know, <laughs> Trump and Biden are strong front runners. 
Uh, it's not looking like this is Generation X's moment. Uh, but here you have, and I should add one more thing, the Republican Party has been nominating very old people for a while. They didn't always. But since 1976, nearly every nominee has been over 60 years old, with the exception of George W. Bush, who was 55, if I recall, um, and had family name you know, helping him. Uh, so they haven't been very inclined to go with the young upstart the way Democrats have, you know, and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Uh, uh, so if you are Ron DeSantis, 44 years old, Nikki Haley, 51 years old, I mean, there are other young, you know, uh, Will Hurd and Francis Suarez and Vivek Ramaswamy are young too, but DeSantis and Haley are the bigger names who are, who are Generation X. And have isn't not been Vivek shy. Vivek is like 35. What's that? Swami? Ramaswamy? Uh, he's 37. Isn't Vivek is only like 30. 37. Is that, is that how old? Okay. Yeah. Um, you would think, I mean, th- these are two people who are not shy about playing an age card, particularly Haley. He literally said we should have a competency test for people over, over, over 75. Uh, and to say it's a bit more subtle, I got a lot of energy. Look at my young kids, that, that kind of thing. Um, you would think they would have as part of their case, here's what I'm going to do to help this party expand our appeal to younger voters, which we have clearly struggled with in the last several election cycles. But what they have done, not this is not like, the heart of their campaigns, but they've both toyed with nostalgia. Remember what it was like back then? Remember when everything back was Back so- in my day. Yeah, yeah. Back uh, in my day, we didn't have mail-in voting. <laughs> we went to the... I, I can't even do it, but, but you mentioned, you referenced, and I was happy to see this, you, you referenced Dana Carvey's Grumpy Old Man, grumpy old man which I'm which, sure... Really, I, I'm dating myself, but... But you watch the, I mean, you know, late 80s, late 80s, early 90s SNL were just masters of taking the thinnest possible premise <laughs> and creating absolute gold. Like, let's have Dan be a grumpy old man. End of premise. You know, like, there's not, there's not much to it. Yeah. We did such a good job with it. Um, yeah. And, and it wasn't just a one time. That was a that was a recurring bit. That he probably yeah, did yeah. five times at least on SNL. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here he is. I'm, I'm going to pull up the. Uh, you know, Haley gave a speech to the Faith and Freedom Coalition just this past Saturday, um, which you know, granted, I'm sure is an older crowd, <laughs> um, but she says, "Do you remember?" When you were growing up, do you remember how simple oh, life yeah. was? Do you remember how <clears throat> safe you felt? It was about faith, family, and country. Your parents raised you to be a responsible individual. You went to school and you learned what you needed to to be successful. You went to church and you found your faith and your conscience. Do you want that again? Because we could have that again. But in order to do that, we need to have a new generational leader. We have to leave the negativity and the drama and the chaos of the past. So she's shoehorning this argument that can apply to both Trump and Biden, that she should be the next generational leader. But with this romanticized nostalgia argument, 
And be one thing if you grew up in the 1950s, <laughs> but she grew up in the 1980s. She's literally born the same year I was. So uh, I know what it was like yeah. to grow up in the 80s. It's total, look, it's total bullshit. It's pandering. It's, I mean, I've seen some people describe it as fascist, you know, sort of looking this because because it's always a greater time that it want, this miss like mythical greater time that existed that we have to get back to. Well, first of all, it wasn't great for everyone. Second of all, like people used to have to get under their desks and like have drills for nuclear bomb bombs and stuff. That's, like, that's boomers, though. <laughs> whatever. I mean, the idea that things. No, here's the other thing too. As as uh, 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 I'm trying to think of who some someone tweeted this. Um, anyway. As we all know, when you are a kid, things seem great. Like, because someone else has all the, you've got maximum, you know, freedom, like zero responsibility. Like if mom and dad are like footing the bill, it seems safe. It seems comfortable. I I mean, she's either, she's either super stupid or she's like playing this very cynical nostalgia game that she knows is BS. You know, maybe I'm a little um, influencer because I grew up in 1980s New York. Uh, I was in New York City as a young kid, then most of my childhood in the suburb. In Needle Park. <laughs> well, just I mean, the 80s was this constant barrage of you know crime and kidnapping and race riots. I mean, this is this is you know uh, Crown Heights and Bernie Getz and all that stuff. You know, not to mention you know. I mean, to quote Billy Joel, as I did in the piece, AIDS crack Bernie Getz. I mean, this this is what the 80s was about. I mean, oh, by, by the way, did you see Fallout Boy as doing a new version yeah, of that I, song? I, I, about I, the I 90s. did see that, Matt Lewis. And and look, I'm not saying Witness of the Fire is Billy Joel's greatest work, uh, his his finest, uh, his finest of the lyrics. But you listen to the Fallout Boy. I can do. By the way, I could literally sit here. I could do that whole song, and I'm sure you can too. Um, I could do every every word of it. You can when you listen to the two different versions. You can see there was far more thought and structure in the Billy Joel version, the Fall Out Boy version. There's just like Fall Out Boy just it feels much more random. It's not remotely chronological. They lean on like people dying uh-huh. multiple times. Uh, I, I I just I don't think you get a flavor. Of, I mean, I mean, Billy Joel had a sort of a thematic point, which is there's been this constant, uh, constant sort of awfulness from from decade to decade, uh, and the Fall Boy just thing just seemed like a mishmash. Um, I, 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 I had more respect for the Billy Joel song after hearing Fall Out Boy. Well, the Billy Joel song is very good, but it's not just all bad stuff either. I mean, it's like Brooklyn's got a winning team, Davy right. Crockett, Peter. I mean, it, it's. It's chronicling his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I mean, I think it's full of, of crazy times as well. But like a, I, probably half the song is is just stuff that happened and that were big, big in the news. Liston beats Patterson. Right? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Right. Um, but um, that's a song, man. That's a career. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't but, even know what we're talking about because you keep going on and I keep interrupting you because you keep saying 
The point is, you keep saying, you know, provocative things. The point is, and then DeSantis had a comment when he's in New Hampshire saying, "Remember, remember what a cartoon is just a cartoon. Your parents have to worry about what was we watching on TV." It's like, what are you? I, I was having arguments with my parents my entire childhood about sex and violence on TV and what uh, uh, people were watching cartoons. Oh, yeah. Let let me stop you here real quick. Number one, Bugs Bunny used to dress up like a woman all the time and kiss guys. So what what would they do if that happened? What would they do? They would be banned, you know, boycotting. But to your point, Bill, and I saw you made this very good point on Twitter. I watch stuff. Look, my kids and I watch every night King of the Hill, Mm -hmm. which I think is a great show. But it's got the, the the reason I like to watch it is every pretty much everything that they're going to encounter in life is on that show. I mean, it's it's got the gamut of the human experience, including the woman who's cheating on her husband with the Native American John Red. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens, but I but I think the values overall are positive, and there's usually a moral to the story. But more to the point, it exposes them to weird things that they're going to encounter in life. And as a Christian conservative, and I'm not saying I'm a great Christian, and I'm probably not even a great conservative, but as a Christian conservative, the worst, if you want your kids to grow up in the tradition that you're raising them in, the last thing you should do is completely um, deprive them of experience and information like then they're going to go to college or wherever out in the real world and they're going to be inundated with all sorts of stuff and and temptations like i want to slowly expose my children to what they're going to encounter in the world and by the way do it in a way that that's safe and where we can discuss it we watch i'll, I'll hit pause we'll have a 5 or 10 minute discussion/debate on what we just saw mm-hmm. and it's very nuanced, and I want to talk to them about all sorts of stuff. So that's what I loved about your tweet, Bill. Well, my tweet, I and, and I should say, I mean, I, I try to do that too. I've, I mean, I've sat with my kids and, you know, even watching Simpsons, having to like stop and like discuss this drug reference or this racial yes. reference, you know, and uh, it's, I, I don't really like doing it, but this is the thing that struck me. So I, I tweet in response to this woman in. Uh, no, I see it. I, I was just, I like it. I see it. Now, obviously, there are things that I would not want my kids to see, but with what you're talking about, even with The Simpsons, I see it as an opportunity, as a teachable yeah. moment. Oh, I, I am grateful for that. So this woman Please. in Florida, <laughs> in Florida got upset. I, don't, I, mean, I actually have a bunch of these books, these I Am books. I Am Rosa Parks. I Am Lucille Ball. I Am Billie Jean King. Uh, and My kids loved them. I didn't have the Billie Jean King, but I had a bunch of the other ones. Uh and the Billie Jean, Billie Jean King book mentions that she's gay. Uh, and, so this, and it was in the, the elementary school library, this Florida school. And this woman you know, is now on a bender saying, how dare this book be accessible in the school library? Uh, and you know, beyond you know, the inanity of being this upset about someone being gay this, in this day and age, you know, my point was, like, you just can't per- expect that your child is never going to see something. I don't care what your politics are, left, middle, or right. Yeah, Your kid's going to see something in the world that you don't like. 
does not comport with your values and it's going to ask you about it. And it, it might be hard to explain. It might be uncomfortable and unpleasant, but tough luck, kid. <laughs> you're going to have, if you're having a kid, if you're having a parent, you're going to have to have those moments, whether you like it or not. I mean, I agree with you. Like these things you look forward to and lean into as teachable moments, but even if you don't like doing it, too bad. Yeah. It's going to come up. Uh, you can try to like keep yeah. the bubble going for and, as and, long and, as and, possible. You know, look, it I mean, can't I... last. Yeah, so protectionism he... doesn't work, whether it's the economy or whether it's... But look, obviously, I mean, here's the obvious caveat. There are things, as a child, if you're exposed to too early, could be traumatizing, could be bad. But there's a certain... At a certain age, I think that um, we we live in a world and you're going to encounter things, whether you like it or not, and if you want your kids to grow up sharing your values, you are better off slowly kind of exposing them to alternative points of view. I tell my kids, my one son uh, thinks I'm, you know, too liberal and too permissive. You know, it's like, <laughs> he's very hardcore in his, you know, in his beliefs, which I, I respect. But, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to tell him, like, I evolution is, you know, just, you can believe in God and evolution. You know, this is not mutually exclusive. I don't care Did what you they ever say. ever think, Matt um, Logan, you are going to grow up and be <laughs> Stephen Keaton and not <laughs> Alex B. Keaton. All I need is, uh, is the beard, my friend. <laughs> um, there was a kangaroo. <laughs> my favorite line from that show is, is a Stephen Keaton line when he says to Alex, he's a, uh, there's certain things parents are conditioned to expect when they leave home and they leave their kids, you know, spilt milk on the rock. Broken glass, broken vase. There was a kangaroo in my living room. <laughs> That's when Alex, uh, uh, I guess, Steve, Steve and uh, Elise Keaton uh, go away for a yep. little trip and they leave uh, Alex and Mallory at home. This is before... Uh, Airbnb, but right. uh, Alex and Mallory, as I recall, uh, rent out the house because yeah. there was to a make big money game and for like there's like, an Ohio State game. Yeah, and uh, the other team, I guess their mascot is a is a kangaroo or something. Right. They, stole the, they stole the mascot. Something like that. Anyway, right. Right. great show. But I've become, I guess, I've become Steve Keaton. Um, and you know, so be it. There, there are worst. So to, to go back to DeSantis, so DeSantis said, um, sorry. Uh, and by the way, if there's never been a more Gen X uh, moment on the show than, yes, just, yes. than just transpired. So DeSantis, when I was a kid, you watch a cartoon, it was a cartoon. Now it's like parents have to worry, like, okay, what are my kids being exposed to? Uh, and there's always been that worry with TV. Uh, particularly in the 1980s, there were there were activist groups that were campaigning against too much violence in cartoons, uh, too much sex and violence on TV in general. Uh, and I mean, I mean, even Disney. I mean, did, did, there was there was one. And by group. the way, it was worse. It was worse back then. I don't know about TV, but movies. You yeah. go back and watch a movie from the 1980s. Uh, you're much more likely to see some breast to sit I, well, in a 1980s movie. There's like a whole, there's a whole and movies, which is like 
older women having sex with teenage boys, like literal grooming, <laughs> like advertised in full print, print newspapers, uh, and no one batting an eye. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just that's just yeah, that's just how it was. I mean, it actually wasn't really like that, but in the movies, <laughs> it was ubiquitous. Right, it um, was in many ways worse than today. Uh, so, uh, so for DeSantis and Haley to try to play this game, it, it's, it's so, it's, it's not going to resonate with anybody from their own generation, let alone younger generations. So it might, maybe it will appeal to people yeah. older than them who are, are more conditioned to be, have romanticized nostalgia, uh, and granted that's primarily who votes for Republican primaries. It's it's an older skewing. I mean, even the Democrat electorate is, I mean, young voters are only so many people, but the Republican electorate skews older than the Democratic electorate. Uh, and so I, so I get the poll that they're under. I get that they are thinking about those voters more than the younger voters. Uh, but they're already getting lapped by Donald Trump, who already has a bomb with those voters, who already can play the anti-woke cards. Uh, so just having a, a being an echo of what he's doing, I don't see how that's going to get you very far, and it's not getting them very far. Their inherent yeah, um, it is not. distinguishing characteristic is that they are from a different generation, that they can provide something that Donald Trump can't show us what that might look like. That's what they're not doing, uh, and I'm not even I'm not going to argue again. I think beating Trump is a, is a is a is a tough nut to crack at this point, but. They are not doing themselves or their party a service by speaking inauthentically about their own generation when they desperately need to find a way to connect yeah. with younger voters. You just said something. You said the word inauthentically, and I think that's key here to them not being able to pass the torch to a new generation. Um, so as you, you know, I, I, I've said this before on the DMZ, but um, but I think that I am in many ways a Gen Xer. And uh, I read Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s This Summer, and he talks about kind of the defining characteristic of Gen Xers. And it's it's um, a preference for, or not a preference, but like a demand for authenticity. And according to Klosterman, and this is debatable, but he he argues that we're the only generation in history that viewed selling out as a bad thing. Um, so assuming his preference is true, I believe that um, for whatever reason, even though I've always been a conservative, that those Gen X values were deeply inculcated in me. And I think that explains why when I look at Nikki Haley, the way she's been acting and talking, and I look at Ron DeSantis, I find them um, lame and aesthetically off-putting. Like, I find them repellent. <laughs> and it's not because we disagree fundamentally on political philosophy. It's a, it's a more of a stylistic thing. They seem like phonies, and there's nothing worse to a Gen Xer than being a phony. Now, the other interesting point that Klosterman makes in the book, though, is that even though this sort of authenticity and the, the, the dislike of selling out is the defining values of Gen Xers, 
it actually doesn't describe the majority of Gen Xers. Like, just like the majority of young people in the 60s or 70s might have actually been Nixon voters. Mm. We think of, you know, we think of hippies, we think of Woodstock. And I think there's a similar thing at play here that, like, for whatever reason, um, I'm out of touch <laughs> with with my brethren in the Republican Party of uh, the, the 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 Nikki Haley's and and the Ron DeSantis. Well, I mean, I mean, the you know Gen Xers were came in the Reagan era. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure I buy the clustering premise that Gen Xers are against selling out. This is a culture of people that grew up on Alex P. Keaton and Secret of My Success and uh, Bright Lights, Big City. You know, there's there was a romanticization of you know living the high life in the in uh, uh, in, in the corporate. I mean, working girl, for Pete's sake. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there, there obviously were alternative kids and who rebelled against that, but I wouldn't say they defined the entire generation. Um, but wouldn't you say, I mean, I think, you know, I think your point's well made, and I think you're you're absolutely correct that it's wrong and um, incomplete and, and misleading to attribute to any generation a kind of monolithic ethos. Yeah. So I completely agree. But wouldn't you say that the stereotype about Gen X is, you know, we're not going to be glam. We're not going to wear the makeup and the, we're going to put on, you know, flannel shirts and listen to Nirvana. And the worst thing you can do is sell out. In fact, you know, you're not going to take our music and put it like in a Chevy truck ad. We, we don't need the money because that would be the worst thing you could do. I don't think if that was, I don't think of Gen X like that at all. I mean, I think of Gen X as, you know, big hair and uh, shoulder pads. And- Dude, that's the, that's the eighties. This is the nineties. But, 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 but I, these are people who grew I mean, up in maybe. that, grew, they grew up with that ethos. They grew up with that corporate, you know, uh, you know, the key who has the most toys wins ethos. Uh, that I think is carried over into their. Uh, but that was being okay. Well, I just I think we just have a a a, a kind of a definitional uh, worldview difference then about, about how we even perceive uh, this era. But I, I, mean, I, I mean, believe I mean, that I'm at least on the grunge side. era, which is more millennial. You know, rebels against that. But that's more of a millennial thing than a Gen X thing. I wouldn't say so. Nirvana came out in 1991. Well, again, we're, not, we're talking post Cold War. You know, Nirvana is the Nirvana is the beginning of a new cultural era, uh, where uh, you know the the you know frat house era. Beastie when I say Boy, came out, I mean, I mean, never mind broke in '91. Right. I mean, not that that, they I mean, that, that, that they probably a, were around. For that's an inflection years. point culturally. Because you know, you look at listen to late '80s music; it's nothing like that. Um, it's it's much much cheesier. Uh, you know, I mean, Beastie Boys they might seem as very edgy today, but like literally late '80s, early Beastie Boys is fight for your right to party. I mean, they were like quintessential frat boys. They weren't like super hipster edgy. Um, uh, and you know, uh, as all sorts of dance music from the late '80s, which is like. Uh, a, a, hardly anything that's substantial and intellectually stimulating. Uh, forgive me for lacking an example to tip my fingers. Uh, Nirvana is a total culture shift. 
where like all of a sudden it becomes cool to be an alternate kid and cool to wear grungy clothes. I mean, that wasn't the case literally two years prior to that. Um, okay, but I, but Ron DeSantis is what forty four years old, right? Right. So DeSantis, you I, like I by my you know Obama standards, you could argue DeSantis should be treated yes. as a millennial, not a Gen Xer, because his high school college years are. How can I have a conversation? How can I have a conversation with you about generations when you will not, when you, you don't even buy into the premise of when the generations happen? At least I, the case it's of impossible article, to have this conversation. When DeSantis was watching cartoons, he was watching cartoons in the 80s. So in that sense, I can talk about him in the same breath as, as Haley. <laughs> okay. 1992, 1993 was 30 years ago, yeah. right? So DeSantis, when would, what year would DeSantis have been like, say, seven or eight? I'm bad at math. Well, I think DeSantis was born, seven, he's 44 now. I think he was born 78. Okay. So he was, you know. So he was 10 years old in 88. Correct. Right? Okay. Okay, so maybe he's watching some He-Man. He's watching some yeah. G.I. Joe. Yeah. He's watching Transformers. Yeah, and, you know, G.I. Joe, that, I love right? G.I. Joe was often pointed to as an example of excessive cartoon violence in the in the 80s. Uh, and as I mentioned in my piece, one of the, the biggest... Well, it was a show, that, by the way, love that show, A. <laughs> B, the whole show was designed to sell toys, right? That was the well, whole point well, of the all, show, because you, you weren't allowed to advertise. yeah. Part of the critique was that cyberpunk cartoons were becoming big advertisements, you know, milled in with excessive violence uh, to to push product. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone on this probably for too long, uh, and I know you want to talk about uh, RFK Jr., which quite frankly, I'm I'm loath to talk about. I do not want to take him as seriously as a candidate. In fact, I'm I'm compelled to argue that we should. Never talk about him again after, after this point, uh, but I do want to acknowledge that you want to raise him because he has made waves as of late. Uh, I want to pass the torch to an older generation <laughs> of sons. Um, so, yeah, RFK has been making uh, making news. Um, you know, he was on Joe Rogan. That made a splash, um, and he challenged a, a, a vaccine, you know, a virologist or something to a debate mm -hmm. that's probably never going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, then he made this video of him doing push-ups and lifting weights. Uh, does not seem to be able to lift that much, but he's pretty ripped, for particularly for a 69-year-old man. You know, game recognizes game. Uh, <laughs> so he looks good. Um I don't like the move aesthetically of wearing the jeans without the shirt, you know, uh, but whatever. That's my preference. Um, but I will move. say and, 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 to to. I prefer the shorts if I'm going to be topless, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and hopefully I'm at a pool, a pool or an ocean, not not outside, uh, you know, lift benching or whatever or inclined. Um, <clears throat> but there's two interesting things that are that are happening, Bill. Simultaneously, number one, it appears that RFK Jr.'s support in the Democratic primary has basically been cut in half. He was at like 20 percent in a, a two or three polls a few months ago. And now I think he's more 10 or 12 percent in the latest. But the other thing and then I'll shut up. 
is I keep hearing people talking about it. Yesterday I had lunch. My kid, you know, my kids, my mother-in-law. She's talking about it. I live in West Virginia. I'm, you know, everyone's talking. There's like a lot of people like RFK Jr. Now, I don't think any of them are Democratic primary votes. They're liking him. They're talking about him. There's buzz. But it's sort of like these are conservatives coming members of yours, right? These are not Democrats. No, none of them are Democrats. Or you know, they it's conceivably possible some of them would vote in a Democratic primary for him, but it would be like the way Trump, you know, changed the demographics of the Republican Party. Well, yeah, look, I mean, he is he got twenty in CNN, and I think I think twenty one in Emerson, um basically on name recognition. And I think there was a Fox poll. Yeah. Um, well, Fox, right? Fox had been in April. Fox had been nineteen. So you you go back to April and May. Get oh. Emerson twenty one, Fox nineteen, Rasmussen nineteen. Now I'm in May, and CNN twenty in May, and then he gets a bunch of media attention. Uh, and now the last five polls are. 14, 15, 8, 15, 17, 17 being Fox. Um, so his 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 RCP average now is 14.4. Um, and I saw... Better than a, I thought. Okay. What's that? Uh, I saw... A, that's a little... Honestly, that's better than I thought. Well, that, that 17 from Fox definitely helps him out. We're having a fan, fans, uh, DMZ Army listeners... Clearly, we're having like there must be a delay that's a, that's causing issues with us today. Oh, sorry about that. Um, I saw a Quinnipiac, Pennsylvania poll like just yesterday that broke it out, broke out Kennedy's uh, support uh, or favorability by party. And he's underwater with Democrats and he's above water with Republicans and independents. So I, I think we're seeing. The gradual understanding: this is not just your run-of-the-mill Kennedy. <laughs> this is a different cat, uh, and to the extent he's being liked in the by people seeing him on TV, it's because he's, he's going on to conservative media and being liked by conservatives who are not going to vote in a Democratic primary. Uh, and and I think he's even drifting more and more conservative himself. I think he's saying more conservative things than he was saying. 10, 15 years ago, particularly on, on the border, for example. Um, so uh, well, he also came out and he's 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 saying that like environmental factors are making or maybe making people more likely to be gay or trans today. Right. And these are all things, things like that. that are not embraced by most Democratic voters. Uh, so I am annoyed because I, I wrote a piece early on saying this guy is bonafide crackpot. Like there's no way any media institution would take a candidate like this seriously, if not for his last name, you know, any, any reasonably competent political reporter would look at these numbers and say, this is not indicative of a genuine appetite for his platform in the Democratic Party. It is residual name ID that's likely to dissipate over time as more and more people know about what he's actually all about. So 
if we weren't so enamored with, you know, this is a, this is a case of data journalism going gone awry. Uh, if you used your brain, you would say, okay, I'm not going to take this seriously. You do it because, oh, well, I guess I have to write about because look at this double digit number. And look, when I write a story about him, it gets a lot of clicks. So I guess I'm going to keep writing about him. He's good for clicks. He's good content because he says crazy things. Uh, so uh, he's getting more media than he, than he deserves. Uh, Oh, he's not getting that much mainstream media attention. He's getting niche media attention, but it's enough to keep the keep the grift going. Uh, and I would say, and, and I'm, I would prefer to just cut off the media auction supply completely, if not for the fact that I think he's going to end up being on the Trump's VP shortlist. Uh, I could totally see Trump being very enamored with a Trump Kennedy ticket. Uh, and trying to use him, trying to think you could post Democrats with the name. Uh, and I know, I, I think Kennedy said at one point he would never do that, but I don't trust this guy's word for anything. I think I, I, I see him enjoying the validation he is getting from conservative media and being increasingly willing to say conservative things to keep that going, which of course makes him even more ridiculous as a Democratic prospect. But if that's not really the game here, then he could very well go deeper and deeper into the conservative echo chamber and possibly make himself appeal, uh, appealing to Trump. I think Trump Kennedy is a, I had not really thought about that until just now. I had not taken that seriously until just now, but you may have a point. I mean, Trump loves branding. Um, that is a great sounding name, Trump Kennedy. Uh, is a good brand. As you noted, it could appeal to some Democrats, a certain type of Democrat. Um, well, and, they they had Democrats you know, it's sort of like, he, he might think it does. Well, it's sort of like Clinton Gore, too. It's doubling down on, on like, it's not, he's not trying to balance the ticket. Well, this, this know, is a little bigger question. Uh, it may be, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Uh, but, I mean, he's balancing the ticket part in terms of partisan in his mind but yeah. with, with the Democrat, but it would be two 70 something year old men These who both have a right now. kind of a right wing appeal, populist right wing appeal. What do you think is going to go into Trump's VP calculation? Does he want another Mike Pence who is bland? And doesn't no. do, doesn't show up the guy at the top of the marquee uh, that puts the Republican establishment at ease, or does he want to go with more of a wild and crazy sycophant uh, that uh, is a thumb to the nose of the Republican establishment? I think. I mean, again, I haven't had time to fully think this through, but just based on. Right now, uh, you, you've persuaded me. I think, I think Kennedy could be a contender for that, um, because of the name and because of the, you know, Democrat Republican post partisan idea of the whole thing. And I don't see Kennedy as as being like Newt Gingrich. Remember, Newt said uh, it came down to Newt Gingrich and Mike Pence, and and Newt said, "Well, it depends whether Trump wants a two pirate ticket or not." Um, he's like, we're both pirates. Well, I don't think Kennedy is as much of a pirate as Newt is. Like, I think Newt would not have been able to resist the urge to go out and be provocative and say interesting, 
controversial things. It would have been a lot of cleaning up for Trump to do. I, I get the sense that although, you know, RFK Jr. has had a long tradition of uh, of crack pottery, um, that he would be more disciplined and that he could fit, sort of fill the role as as second in, you know, second in command or whatever. Um, in a way, Newt would not constitutionally be able to like stop himself from talking. Well, I, I think, again, I can't know if Kenny would actually do it, um, but I think it would be appealing to Trump because I mean, why do conservatives like Kennedy now? I mean, he, 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 he doesn't agree with conservatives on everything down the line, but he talks smack about Democrats. He accused Democrats of, of, of losing yeah. their way. Uh, he while validating uh, certain conservative narratives about about COVID uh, and vaccines, uh, and increasingly on on border stuff. Uh, so he's he's useful to uh, at least superficially uh, attack Democrats for certain hypocrisies and say they're 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 too close to. Deep state, or too close to corporations, and all that 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 kind of thing. Uh, so I think yeah. that is going to be appealing to Trump. I mean, I forget. You know, a while back we had a list, and it was like Tulsi Gabbard, Carrie Lake, Elise Stefanik, Kirsten Cinema. Maybe I don't even remember. It was a lot of women that we. I think conventional wisdom suggested that Trump would balance the ticket like that. Um, I'm not so sure. I think I, you, you, once again, Bill, I think maybe you've, you've talked me into something here. Well, I mean, I mean, but could I pick a woman? I mean, that's saying Taylor Green. I mean, not, not like cinema, but I think Taylor Green is certainly going to be someone who's going to be in the mix. Um, but I don't see why Trump would say I have to have a woman. I mean, this is someone who is clearly sexist in many respects. Uh, uh, so I, 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 it's hard to totally read his mind and what's, what, I mean, and part of it's going to have to be who will accept the offer. Uh, I, he may not get his first choice, uh, but, and you know, right now we have a strong sense that Carrie Lake and Taylor Green would be hungry for that, uh, that appointment, probably, probably Stefanik too, uh, and are doing things to suck up to him. Uh, but, uh. Maybe maybe sucking to him too much is not the way to go. Maybe you know. I, I, again, it's it, it's hard it's hard to know. But Trump is going so deeper into conspiracy thinking himself uh, that, and, and clearly wants to run on how everyone's out to get me, uh, witch hunts with the in, with the investigations. They rigged the election, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Candidates who are already trafficking in that would seem appealing to him. Not someone who's going to cut against that. And I think Kennedy falls in that mm-hmm. category. All right. You've talked me into it. We may not agree on what constitutes generations or Gen Xers, <laughs> but I think, at least for this moment, we're both persuaded it's going to be Trump Kennedy. Um, so now the question is do not I predict? Not predicting. Do I title this episode? You predicted. I, do I title this episode "Grumpy Old Gen Xers" or do I do I title it "Trump Kennedy 24"? That's the only <laughs> question that remains at the end of this. Um, we should probably wrap, but do you have, uh, just as we started taping, the Supreme Court came down and abolished affirmative action for higher education. If you had any early thoughts on that, 
Sounds like a plan to me. Um, and I think that this court is, uh, you know, they're defending free speech and religious liberty. Uh, they're basically standing up to Donald Trump uh, and his attempt to steal the election by doing things like letting state legislatures overturn <laughs> the vote. Um, and I think they're standing up against discrimination, which is effectively what this is, uh, what racial preferences and affirmative action. So I am with this Supreme Court. And I will say, you know, I was always a big Amy Coney Barrett booster. Um, and I think that is proven, that is panned out. She's, she's uh, I think, on the right side of all sorts of issues, including I was very happy to see her uh, and other Republican uh, appointees um, stand up against the uh, efforts to uh, to overturn the 2020 election. Well, I, but what I think about you? Decision, I think this decision is is a, is a Roberts decision. I mean, I, th I think this is Roberts' long game. You know, the things that I think Roberts wanted to accomplish on the court. I think this is possibly his biggest one. You know, Alito was hungry for that Roe v. Wade opinion, for the Dodds opinion, you know, his whole career. That he clearly had the outlines of that. You see it in the testimony he gave when he was being nominated. Stuff he said in the in the hearings shows up in that opinion. I think that was, and I think for Roberts, you know, essentially eradicating, uh, you're making our jurisprudence and our code race blind. I think is a Roberts long game yeah. objective. Uh, and I'm not saying I agree with the decision. Uh, uh, and I'm curious to see how it plays out in practice. Uh, will colleges have other ways, like you know, say need-based affirmative action ways that they can meet the same goals? Uh, and so you don't mm -hmm. have any negative repercussions or are we going to see in the course of, you know, one to five years, a drop off of black and Latino representation on college campuses, which might cause some concern and upset. Um, that I, I, I can't predict just yet. Um, you know, it's different than the Dobbs decision, which you would see the negative impact on, on access to abortion immediately, literally immediately. Uh, and so you had that backlash right away. Here, you know, we have another year until people apply for college again. And when do we get data on that probably is another year after that. And you might need to have a few years of data before you really see yeah. uh, what the impact might be. Um, but I, so not supporting it, kind of dubious of it you know, myself. I haven't, I haven't read the opinion yet, you know, so I'm not inclined to like the opinion. Uh, but I do think it is more indicative of a court that is, perhaps ideological, but not partisan. You know, we just had a week ago, Roberts. Right, like as, or, as you know, Bill, as, as you know, we, we talked last week or the or two weeks ago, whenever, about how this same court uh, basically said, Southern states, you can't gerrymander, uh, you know, these congressional elections. So, that is probably going to result in more minority representation in Congress. Um, and so I like this court. Um, 
I don't like well, the fact I... that Clarence Thomas and Alito take money from rich people to go on vacation <laughs> or pay for their or whatever. But but I, I like I, I think that this is a this is a court that and these Republican appointees have a judicial philosophy that I respect. And I do not think it is contingent on in the short term. Is this going to help Republicans or help Democrats? Yeah, it's I, not what it's when, about when you Robert... can like it or you. When Roberts did his initial Voting Rights Act decisions, particularly the Shelby County, uh, there are people that not only accuse the court of being racist, but also partisan. They're doing this to suppress the Democratic vote. Uh, and what I've written about in the past was, at, at least in practice, those rulings did not suppress the Democratic vote. They were they were ginned up and energized to overcome whatever obstacles were in their way. And uh, all these places where Voting, Rack, Voting Rights Act uh, uh, provisions changed, uh, Democrats won races in. Um, and uh, so I, I, I don't think the driving factor of the Roberts long game is let's make things easier for Republicans. I do think you want to make things race blind, whether that makes him racist or not. You know that's that's a separate debate. I, I think he wanted to do this on its own merits, uh, and whether it helps Republicans or Democrats is not what factored into that long canon of opinions that he has been writing on the subject. Yeah, and I do want to note that this decision was handed down literally minutes before we hit record and started taping this, so we see through a glass darkly. But Bill, it is my understanding that a majority of Democrats are with the court on this decision. And well, well, hold that up hold up there. Um, the majority of, and the, well, let me just finish this and then you can rebut it. And that a majority of Asians and Hispanics are with the court. I think the only cohort that disagrees, and this, this is polling from before the decision was, came down, obviously, are African-Americans are, are the only uh, block of, of, of citizens or the only cohort that disagrees with the premise uh, that, that this decision establishes. Now, I, I happen to have looked at this polling data recently. Um, so there was a Pew poll that came out very recently, uh, I think, this article was June. I can't remember what the poll was taken, April or May, but but recently. Uh, the, the question was, as you may know, some colleges and universities around the country are selective, which means they can have many more applicants that they can admit. One of the factors some of these colleges take into account in admissions, admissions decisions is race and ethnicity in order to increase the racial and ethnic diversity of the school. All in all, do you approve or disapprove of selective colleges and universities doing this? Only 33% approve of that, 50% disapprove. So I imagine what, in terms of, this, I'm not looking at the, the, the sub-samples, uh, but I imagine what you, that would track with even Democrats, even Latinos, even Asians. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Asians want to often get shorthanded in some of these affirmative action things, so that's not surprising. Yeah. Now, there's also a recent AP poll, Associate Press poll, that asked, the U.S. Supreme Court is weighing whether colleges and universities can consider race ethnicity as part of their admissions decisions, a practice commonly known as affirmative action. Do you think the Supreme Court should 
or should not prohibit the consideration of race and ethnicity admissions. 63% said the court should not prohibit affirmative action. Totally hmm. different result, but specific to the court. Hmm. And it, I think it's reminiscent of what we see in, in abortion polling, where someone say, yeah, I'm pro-life. I think there should be restrictions, but Roe v. Wade, oh, I want Roe v. Wade. Um, so <laughs> there could be this kind of squeamish middle that kind of doesn't like the concept of it, but is reluctant to see the court go in and just flat out ban it. Uh, so uh, I think that we're, as I was saying before, I think since the impact of it's going to be kind of delayed uh, at the college admissions level, I think, in my mind, the jury's out how the public is going to absorb this. I think it's going to depend on what the actual impact is. Indeed. All right. Uh, great conversation. We, uh, If you're still listening out there, then I assume you like us and you'll tolerate us no matter what. But I do think there was some uh, delay in our communications today, which resulted in a less seamless, free-flowing conversation. But I still think fabulous content, especially the uh, Stephen uh, Keaton stuff, um, <laughs> which, you know, that's why people come here. Sha-la-la-la, Matt Lewis. Um, where would I be without you, Bill Cher? Um, and where will I be the next two weeks while you're gone? That that I don't know. I will, I will shamelessly promote my book because by the time, I guess, Bill, by the time you and I do this again, unless something crazy happens, it will be out. Um, and so please, uh, you can pre-order it anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever fine books are sold. And if you go to filthyrichbook.com and enter your receipt uh, number, you will get the bonuses that I've been talking about uh, ad nauseum. So please do that. I greatly appreciate it. And I think you're going to enjoy the book. Very exciting. Uh, well, till later. And read Bill's Washington Monthly piece. Yes, please do. What do, what do, what do, you, have, what do you have to plug on the Daily Beast? All right, man. Safe travels. You got Daily read Beast. Read my stuff plug. at the Beast. Read Bill at the Washington Monthly. And we'll see What's you in that? July. See you in July. Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs>